With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. Come on in, folks. Welcome to the Wild West Showdown. You know, no matter what folks dream up and invent, it seems the crooks and unscrupulous folks can come up with a way to rob and pillage to take what they want. Take the train, for instance. A great invention to help folks travel across the country at speeds unheard of before. A way for financial institutions to send great amounts of money in a safe and fast environment. At least that's how it was explained to them. But as I said, it wasn't very long before the first train robbery took place. Some claim that Jesse James committed the first train robbery. However, there's a robbery that happened before Jesse James came along. On November the 6th, 1870, just west of Reno, Nevada, a Central Pacific passenger train was overtaken by a gang of robbers who had been tipped off the train was carrying gold worth $60,000. The bandits forced the conductor to apply the brakes and separate the engine, tender, baggage, and express cars from the rest of the train. The engineer was then taken to the express car to have him open the door. When the door opened, the expressman was greeted by three sawed-off shotguns. The bandits pried open the boxes in the express car and the gang uncovered $41,000 in gold coins. These coins weighed over 150 pounds. However, in their haste to get away, the robbers missed and left behind $8,000 in silver, $15,000 in hidden gold bars, and piles of bank drafts. Keep in mind that an acre of land at that time cost about $5 an acre. The good news to this story is that all the robbers were apprehended or killed before being able to enjoy their ill-gotten wealth. So when did Jesse James rob his first train? Jesse and his colleagues, the James Younger Gang, had already established a local reputation for crime before the legendary robbery. The gang dressed in KKK garb. They then loosened part of the track and attached a rope to it near the Aldair, Iowa station. As the Rock Island train approached the station on July the 21st, 1873, the engineer saw the rope tied to the rail. He attempted to back the train up to avoid the hazard, but was unsuccessful. The engine, the tender car, and baggage cars were derailed and the engineer killed. Jesse and his brother Frank approached the expressman with cocked 45s. The James Younger gang rode off with nearly $3,000, which is worth about 51000 today. Now how about some country music? This is Douglas Dickens singing Vagabond Lover. Miles and miles and broken men's dreams felt a thousand smiles and still it just seems That the only true feelings that come from those dreams are the ones that are left With the ones that 
aren't seen Well, you're a drifter Just a shifter From many sad sights in the still of the night Just a lover, a vagabond lover So your feelings ain't right But they settle for a fright What does it mean when the sun doesn't shine When the wind's in the pines at the close of your time If you've seen the birds rise from the sea to the sky On the wings of the skies Your feeling demise Well, you're a drifter Just a shifter From many sad sights in the still of the night Just a lover, a vagabond lover so your feelings ain't right, but to settle for a fright. From where do we come and where will we go? What will we do? Well, nobody knows. We walk on this land with fear in our hearts, knowing full well that man must depart. Well, you're a drifter, just a shifter. Many sad sights in the still of the night Just a lover, a vagabond lover So your feelings ain't right But they settle for a fright Well, you're a drifter just a shifter From many sad sights in the still of the night Just a lover, a vagabond lover So your feelings ain't right But they settle for fright From a fountain of tears For a world we have wrong Comes hope for tomorrow In place of the song The spirit gives rise to faith in the day When mankind will see a much different way well, you're a drifter, just a shifter From many sad sights in the still of the night Just a lover, a vagabond lover So your feelings ain't right, but they settle for fright A thousand smiles and still it just seems That the only true feelings that come from those dreams Are the ones that are left With the ones that aren't seen You're a drifter Just a shifter Many sad sights in the still of the night Just a lover, a vagabond lover So your feelings ain't right but they settle That was great, Douglas. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Now let's visit with our special guest. All right, our guest on the Wild West Showdown today is a veteran Hollywood actor. He's a stage actor and author, and he's been called a true master storyteller. 
Jared McVeigh. Welcome, Mr. McVeigh. Thank you. That's what I didn't. I, several years ago, I got that tag about the uh, master storyteller. I just consider myself a storyteller. I do have done a lot of it all over the world. But uh, master, I don't know. That sounds pretty nice, though. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's that's a title to hang on to. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up, and where you're living now. All right. Well, I was born down in southeastern Kansas in a little town uh, of Eureka. Well, actually, just outside along the river by a midwife. Uh, and the doctor came a few days later and, and said, okay, he's he's breathing, so I'll sign the certificate. <laughs> we moved from there over to the little town of El Dorado. That's where I first got into acting, actually. I was uh, 12 at the time and taking my first year of drama, and there, uh, there was a, a group coming through, a traveling group, doing Peter Pan, the, the stage play. And the little boy playing Michael, the younger of the two brothers, I had to go back to wherever he was from, and they, so the, the director came to uh, my drama teacher and said, do you have anybody that might replace him? And she said, have I got a kid for you? Bright red, curly hair, freckles, the whole thing. I auditioned and got my first paying job as a professional actor in 1952, uh, playing Michael, the younger brother of, of Peter Pan, the stage play. And I kind of liked it. I said, hey, this is a fun way to make a living. I've never made so much money in my life, $35 a week in boarding room. Are you married? Do you have children? I've been married more than once. I've lost several wives to cancer. I have five children, four girls and a boy. Uh, they've all gone, and I have 11 grandchildren and coming up on 19 great-grandchildren. That's quite a crew. Do you see any actors or authors in that group? No. They've all had the opportunity, and, and they've you know, played with it a little bit, but uh, none of them wanted to go on and do it professionally. They just uh, said, oh, Dad, you're good. You, you just do that. I rode rodeo for a while. I worked for John Whiney on his ranch down there in, uh, outside of Eldorado, Kansas, for several years, a young man, and then started uh, jockeying in the quarter horses races at Eureka Downs. Then I started riding rodeo, and then I spent three years as a rodeo clown. Spent uh, five years in the Navy CBs, honorable discharge. After I got out of that, I started doing theater and, and traveling around and, and what have you. And I had a country and western bluegrass stage show for a while. We did warm-ups for people like Johnny Cash and and all those kind of people, worked with Minnie Pearl and a lot of those people over the years. Just had a good life, actually. <laughs> Moved to Denver and had my own talk show for a few years there, and really started getting into film business there. I had done some small film work prior to that, but pretty much full-time as a SAG actor, a union actor. And then I spent three years on the board of directors for Screen Actors Guild. So... Uh, I've been in over 40 movies, over 20 television series, and over 100 television commercials. Um, I don't know what else to tell you here. <laughs> I just lived my life the way I wanted to. I'll tell you what, you got quite a resume there. Is there anything that you yeah. ha is there anything that you haven't done? <laughs> yes, I've never been an astronaut. Never been an astronaut, but you're looking forward to it, aren't you? Well, the opportunity came up. In 1985, I did single hand around the world on a 34-foot sloop. Oh, boy. 
I was uh, single, living on my boat up just 60 miles north of L.A., and I just finished doing a commercial, had some money in my pocket. It was coming up on the winter time, and I thought, I'm going to get out of here and go to Mexico and winter out down there in the heat. Well, one thing led to another. I went to the Galapagos Islands, and from the Galapagos on over to Tahiti, then to Australia, and a year and a half later, I got back. Been all over the world, all the way around. You said you started acting at age 12. Are you still active today? Not so much, uh, although I did get a call from my new uh, publisher, and he's wanting to get into the film business. And I own a motion picture production company, Cinema World Pictures. I went down to Las Vegas and I make a trailer based on one of my award-winning books. He wants to try to raise the money to uh, turn it into a film. And we established uh, a film company at that time and wrote, produced, and directed a trailer down there, called in some actor friend of mine. And it turned out pretty good, I guess. It's a, it's a little eight-minute trailer, and he's off trying to raise money with it. So let's keep our fingers crossed. Sure. Okay, you rubbed elbows with a lot of famous people. Do you have a favorite actor? Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, you, you couldn't have done much better than that, could you? I used to do a lot of fundraising for different functions and things, raise money to buy things and to help hospitals and pay hospital bills, stuff like that. I was doing a, a Christmas dinner for all the abused and underprivileged children in Ventura County, which uh, it turned out I had a little over 1,100 kids plus adults. We fed them. We gave them all toys. had a Santa land. I had Santa come in. I put on a two-hour Broadway show. Blake Emmons, country singer and, and songwriter, came in and helped entertain. And I was standing there talking to the mayor of Oxnard, and someone tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around, and there stood Jimmy. And he said, I kind of like what you're doing. He said, I'd like to talk to you more about it. And we became very good friends. Went to his house several times for dinner. And he just liked to sit and talk. I learned a lot from him as an actor and about life. Great man. Great man. Okay. How about a favorite movie? The Quiet Man with John Wayne. There you go. Well, you picked some good ones. <laughs> well, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite author? A favorite author? No, not really. I I read just about everybody. Of course, my favorite is Westerns, mm -hmm. and I read from Luke Short to you know, Louis Lamore, all of them. But I read a lot of different genres, and I know I guess Westerns in general would be my favorite type of books. Okay, has there been one person that's influenced you any more than others in your life? Yes, actually it was two. Gene Warren and his partner Harvey Rosen. In 1956, okay. I left home and put myself through high school and college. But I was kind of running wild. They owned a, an Army-Navy surplus store and also sold work clothes and shoes and socks stuff. And I had gone to work for them after cleaning up their backyard because I was on my own. And as it turned out, one thing led to another, and I went to work for them in the store. And during the three years I worked for them, I think they influenced me more than anybody I'd, I've ever met. And to this day, I still remember things they told me. I didn't always take them to heart at the time, mm -hmm. but over the years, they've been a good inspiration for me and how I, I look at life. Okay, how old were you when you decided you wanted to become an author? Actually, I was in high school, Okay. <laughs> and I, I have written tons of, of short stories and won awards for my short stories also, but you know, we were given assignments, but remember in those days, I had to write about certain people, essays and things, mm -hmm. and I was given Adolf Hitler. Hmm. And I sit down, and instead of writing it like a nonfiction piece, I wrote it like a fiction piece, actually. And from his point of view, he said, Red, you need to be a writer. And I thought, well, that'd be fun. 
But I didn't really, you know, I started writing short stories and pieces and stuff. And then I got into uh, writing screenplays. And I was a ghostwriter down in Hollywood between movies and things. I'd clean up other people's scripts. And then I kept writing short stories. And then my wife said, you know, you really need to write a book. And I said, I'd love to, but they're so darn long. <laughs> yeah. Instead of writing a, a full-fledged book, I wrote a children's book first called Bears, Bicycles, and Broomsticks, which is a collection of 11 short stories I've written for storytelling events. That seemed pretty easy. So I wrote a book called The Legend of Joe William Red about three unlikely running mates who are thrown together on the hobo trail, and darned if it didn't win a Chaucer Award. I wrote the Western, set in the late 1800s down around the Dallas, Arizona, and darned if it didn't win a Laramie Award. Mm. I was living in South Carolina at the time, and so I just sold everything, the house and everything, and came out to uh, Anacortes, Washington, to visit my oldest daughter, who I haven't seen for, uh, hadn't seen for quite a while. And so while I was out here, somebody said something about this, or I saw something on the news. So I sat down and decided, got an inspiration. I said, okay, I'll write a book about that, and it's setting off in 1985, called Not On My Mountain in Upper Utah. And darn if it didn't win not only a Laramie Award as a contemporary Western, modern-day Western, but also it won grand prize, best book overall. And I said, well, I'm just one lucky writer. That's all I can tell you is I'm one very, very fortunate writer to win four awards with three books. Hmm. Sound like you got a leprechaun in your pocket. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, if you had the Skype here, you'd see... He's standing in. He's standing around here. I got a big, uh, actually, uh, uh, kind of a tall statue of him standing over in the corner of my office here. You've been writing since you was a kid. How many books have you written? Well, I've written five books now, and halfway through the uh, three fourths of the way through the sixth book. Okay. But I have actually four published. My latest one with I have a new publisher that I just taken on, and we I just recently sent him. Uh, the first book in a series, uh, the Western series, about a, a cowboy named Clay Brentwood, mm -hmm. and it's book one. Book two is about three-quarters of the way finished. In fact, I was sitting here working on it again this morning, and it's book two in the, in the series. I don't know how many books will be in that series, but, you know, it's kind of like the sockets. There might be a whole bunch of them. Sure. How long does it take you to write a story? Well, it takes me anywhere from two to four, uh, three months to write a book. Do you use an outline, or do you just sit down and write? I just sit down and write. I do very little research. I write about things I know. What I do is a little different. I get an idea. Okay, I'll write a Western. have no idea who's going to be in it, how it's going to go, what it's going to happen. I don't do a beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. I just sit down and start writing. I turn this little switch on in my head, and all of a sudden I watch a movie. I see everything in there, hear all the dialogue, see the characters, everything. And I write down what I see as they come and go. And I'm just as surprised sometimes at what happens in the book as, as, as the readers are. I just get to read it first, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you're having a good time at doing it too, aren't you? Yes, I am. Normally, if I don't enjoy doing something, I don't do it. That's why I wasn't very good at working nine to five for the man. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't enjoy that. All right. Now, you, you mentioned that you don't let your writing get in the way of fishing and so forth. Do your characters ever wake you up in the middle of the night? No. If I sit down in front of the computer, I turn that little switch on my head, and the movie starts right where I left off. How about that? Okay. What do your fans want to know about Jared McVeigh? 
Well, a lot of the typical questions, you know, mm-hmm. why did I become a writer? Why, uh, why did I become an actor? Uh, what do I like to do? Stuff like that. But some of them would like to say they'd like to know more about me. For a lot of people, they say, Jesus, how could you have done all this stuff in one lifetime? Because I've lived about four lifetimes in, in during my years. Do you have any advice for somebody that wants to be an author or an actor? I guess so, yeah. If you really want to do it, then jump in with both feet. Don't go. do it halfway. I talk to so many people. Oh, I've been writing on a book. And I said, how long have you been working on it? Oh, 10 years. <laughs> God, I would have given up on that book a long time ago. If you want to do it, do it. Don't don't talk or procrastinate. Uh, if you're going to be an actor and you have talent, I believe you have to be born with certain talent. Mm-hmm. Or you, you can't do them well. And if you think you're born with talent, give it a shot. But don't do it halfway. Jump in with both feet. And you can start, like, doing local plays and stuff, but learn your craft. So don't be a wannabe. If you're going to do it, jump in with both feet. Sink or swim, one or the other. That's the way I look at it. Okay. How can folks get in touch with you? They can call me on the phone. Okay. Uh, they can get rid of my emails. You want to give out an email right uh, now? It's downwind, D-O-W-N-W-I-N-D, dot sailor s-a-i-l-o-r at gmail.com tell me what was your favorite treat as a kid candy cake something like that well you know as a kid i never started eating sweets until after i turned 50 is that right i didn't eat pie cake candy none of that i guess if i had 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 any it would have been licorice is there a reason for that was your family poor or something or you just didn't like sweets? Well, yes, we were poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I, where, where I, where, like I said, I was born down along the river by a midwife. Mm-hmm. We lived in a little shack, a shanty hack there. And then my dad died when I was five. Okay. We were poor, and we didn't live in the best part of town. And we had an outhouse, a kerosene lamp, and a wood cooking stove and heat stove. My job in the mornings was clean the ashes up in both of them and get a fire started in both of them. I think it was more than, I don't know, just for some reason, I saw fat kids, if you want to use it that way. I mm-hmm. It's not, not the best in the world. I had yeah. these fat kids. It's overweight, and I never wanted to be overweight. All right. Have you got a treat today? I never, do do you? I have a treat today? Yeah, that's apple pie with ice cream. Apple pie with ice cream. Sounds like a good one. What do you want to be remembered for? Bringing pleasure to people, whether it's through film, television, or my books or even the storytelling. I want people to say, he brought a smile to me. That sounds good. He made me smile. We want to thank you for being our guest today on the Wild West Showdown, and I want to give you a special invitation from the old cowboy to come back and visit any time. Thank you. I'd love to. Okay. We'll talk to you later, okay? Okay, bud. Thank you for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Here's a little more information about trains. How fast did trains travel in the Wild West? In the 1850s and during the Civil War, the average speed was about 15 to 20 miles per hour, depending on the grade and the load pulled. From the 1880s on, greater engines increased efficiency, and steel rails pushed the average passenger express car up to 50 miles an hour. As a result of modernization and rebuilding practices and using the newer, stronger steel rails, both in the south and also in the north, by the 1870s, high speeds of 40 to 60 miles per hour was almost common between almost all northern and southern cities east of the Mississippi. 
At the very end of the 1800s, speeds of 70 miles per hour on passenger express trains were common in England, and the Union Pacific and America on straight runs at the very turn of the century. It was around the turn of the century the Santa Fe read a specially modified train with one passenger car at 100 miles per hour through parts of the American West in a speed run from Los Angeles to Chicago. How about another song? This is Leland Harding III singing Me and Misery. my imagination laying tricks upon my heart I remember that July day when my world fell apart when you took my ring off Girl, you tore up my heart And now it's me Me and misery If you need company Just give us a call
Thanks so much, Leland. That was a great song. I want to remind all you singers out there to send an email to jc at outlawspublishing.com. Let me know that you want us to play your music on the Wild West Showdown. That address again is jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. I've also got something else I'd like to share with you. As most of you know, we started Outlaws Publishing for Western Authors. And then we added two subsidiaries for all other genres except erotica. Well, this last week I had an idea hit me the way they do sometimes. We need another subsidiary specifically for thrillers, mysteries, and detective stories, and anything pertaining to stories like that. Outlaws Publishing LLC now has a new subsidiary, Gumshoe Publishing. So if you've got a thriller or a mystery story you'd like to have it published, Send that email to jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. We want to thank Douglas Dickens and Leland Harding III for their music today. And a special thanks to our guest, Jared McVeigh. Now, holler out the window for all those stragglers that it's time for some cowboy wisdom. I understand this is some advice that John Wayne gave to one of his actor friends. And I think it's pretty good advice for everyday life. He said, talk low. Talk slow, and don't say too much. This is the old cowboy saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Holsey. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.